Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. It's time to throw another log on the fire, campers. We've got a new story for you. Stevie Oder, and with me, as always, is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. You've no doubt heard the story of Pearl Harbor before, the Japanese attack on U.S. military forces in Hawaii in 1941 that caused us to enter World War II. That historic and tragic day has been recounted in hundreds, maybe thousands, of films, books, and documentaries. Tonight, we're going to tell the story from a rather focused perspective. Through the eyes of two Ohio men who served together aboard one vessel, the USS Oklahoma, a battleship that was destroyed in the attack. And there's a timely reason for our interest in this. Six years ago, the military exhumed all the remains that had been collected and buried from the carnage that was the Oklahoma and went to work identifying the sailors so that they might be returned to their homes for burial. In a feat once thought impossible, they were able to do this for 396 of the 429 crewmen who went down with the ship. This past December the 7th, on the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, the remains of 33 sailors who couldn't be matched and returned to their families were reinterred at the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific in Honolulu, a place commonly called the Punch Bowl. Tonight, we are going to share what we can of two Ohio sailors, one who is coming home this spring, another who must remain at the punch bowl. A couple of months ago, the military announced it had identified the remains of Buford Dyer, a sailor from the Summit County city of Barberton. Akron Beacon Journal reporter Alan Ashworth did a phenomenal job of capturing his life and times, We're going to share some of his research here. Our second focus is Charles Edward Walters of Chansey in Athens County. We sorted through the names of the 33 sailors who were reburied at the Punch Bowl and found Charles, an Ohioan who could not be connected to his family through modern DNA efforts. And with our deepest thanks to the research of Lorinda LeClain of the Athens County Public Library, we're able to tell you about him. So, in honor of Buford Dyer of Barberton and Charles Walters of Chansey, here's the story of their final day. Buford Harvey Dyer was born January the 31st, 1921, in Tennessee, to Dillard and Thena Dyer. It's not clear how the family came to be in Ohio, but we can take a pretty good educated guess. At the turn of the 20th century, Barberton was being called the Magic City because almost overnight, 
the farmland had been turned into an industrial mecca. Thousands of immigrants and people from the South were lured to the jobs in a dozen factories that had sprung up as if by magic. Now, Buford wasn't the only child in the Dyer household. He had two younger brothers, Jay and Chester, both of them teenagers. They lost their father at a young age. Dillard died in 1934 when Buford was only 12, and their mother remarried and became Thena Cromley. The boys grew up on Canal Street on the city's south end, and all of them attended the Barberton Public Schools. On April the 22nd, 1940, 18-year-old Buford joined the Navy. The United States was not at war. Not yet. War was raging in Europe, but America had resisted getting involved. Still, it seemed to some likely America would one day have to join the campaign against Hitler, who clearly was attempting to take over an entire continent. Buford was among nearly half a million men and women who voluntarily enlisted the year before war was declared. Buford completed basic training, flew to the tropical paradise of Hawaii, and reported for duty aboard the USS Oklahoma on July the 19th, 1940. Just five days after Buford arrived in Hawaii, 20-year-old Charles Walters enlisted in the Navy. Charles was born August the 6th, 1921, to Alonzo and Bessie Walters in Oak Harbor. That's in Ottawa County, up near Toledo. He was their only child together, but both of Charles' parents were widowed when they met, so he already had an assortment of older half-siblings. He lived with two of them a brother, Ralph, and a sister, Margaret, both from his mom's first marriage. Siblings Edward, William, and Bonnie came from his dad's side. When the children were still young, the family moved to Chansey, a village in Athens County, on the other end of the state. They moved into a home on High Street. Charles Walters had something in common with his future crewmate, Buford Dyer, He lost his father at a young age. In 1932, when Charles was just 11 years old, his father Alonzo took his own life in the family's home. According to an obituary, it may have been related to some kind of health condition caused by an industrial job. He was just 55. And so, by the fall of 1940, Charles and Buford were settled in as two of the 1,100 men assigned to the USS Oklahoma. Now, Pearl Harbor is part of the Hawaiian island of Oahu. It's about 2,000 miles from the U.S. mainland and 4,000 miles from Japan. Military officials always figured if Japan wanted to start a war with the United States, it would more likely attack forces in European colonies closer to Japan, like the Dutch East Indies, Singapore, or Indochina. And so Pearl Harbor's naval facility, consisting of ships moored around Ford Island and hundreds of airplanes squeezed onto adjacent airfields, was relatively undefended. The USS Oklahoma 
was one of seven warships the U.S. kept in the harbor lined up in what was called Battleship Row. It was a venerable ship. It took four years to build and was commissioned in 1916. It was a type of heavily armed ship known as a dreadnought. It launched in time for World War I and protected Allied convoys crossing the Atlantic. After the war, it was spruced up and modernized, then moved from the East Coast to the West. In 1940, the Oklahoma was assigned to Pearl Harbor and was mostly used for patrols and exercises. And her days were already numbered. The oldest ship in the fleet, she was scheduled to be retired on May the 2nd, 1942. Buford Dyer, who was a seaman first class, and Charles Walters, a seaman second class, would have been involved in the various duties in the upkeep of the ship. They would have made about $54 a month and lived on board the Oklahoma. By all accounts, accommodations were cramped, but that also served to make the crew a tight-knit family. In their downtime, many took advantage of a number of sports clubs, Each ship had its own basketball and baseball teams. In Charles and Buford's second year, war might have seemed a bit more imminent. U.S. relations with Japan had worsened, with America demanding the country end its pact with Germany and Italy. Japan's response came a couple of weeks later, on December 7, 1941, in what President Roosevelt would later declare a day which would live in infamy. Just after 7.30 a.m., Japanese warplanes descended from a clear blue sky. We know now there had been warning signals it was coming, but again, it seems so unlikely Japan would turn its attention to these little islands in the Pacific. The clues were ignored. Using six aircraft carriers, 350 planes, and five small submarines, the Japanese carried out their surprise attack with bombs and torpedoes. There were 80 naval vessels in Pearl Harbor that day. The battleships, including the Oklahoma, took the brunt of that first wave of attack. At 7.40 a.m., the Oklahoma was struck by two torpedoes, tearing holes below the waterline between the smokestack and the mainmast. Most of the crew was below the waterline because that's where the battle stations were. About 80 men scrambled to man the anti-aircraft guns on the deck, but the firing locks were in the armory. The weapons were useless. When the third torpedo struck at 8 a.m., The ship was listing badly. The commander gave the order to abandon ship over the starboard side. Some of those jumping into the water were killed as Japanese aircraft from the carriers Akagi and Kaga flew overhead, strafing them. Those who survived had to navigate the fiery waters, fueled by the oil leaking from the Oklahoma as well as the damaged Arizona, Nevada, and California. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. 
But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecla, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts. In less than 12 minutes, the Oklahoma had sunk. She had rolled over until her masts touched the bottom of the muddy seabed. Many of the Oklahoma's crew made it to the USS Maryland, which had been resting right next to her on Battleship Row, and they climbed aboard to continue the fight. But hundreds had become trapped when the ship capsized. Later, when it was quiet enough to hear again, rescuers followed the sounds of banging to locate sailors, cutting away bits of hull to pull them out. Some remained trapped in the ship for days that way. In the end, 2,403 people were killed in the attack on Pearl Harbor. Buford and Charles were among the 429 lost on the Oklahoma. The next day, the U.S. declared war on Japan. It took a long time to sort through the carnage of Pearl Harbor. Back in Barberton, Thena Dyer received a letter from her eldest son written just days before the attack. It was the last time she heard from him. It wasn't until two months later, February the 17th, 1942, that she was notified he had been killed, quote, somewhere in the Pacific. By then, Thena's second son, Jay, was already at boot camp for the Marines at Paris Island, South Carolina. Jay had made his decision to enlist the day after the attack on Pearl Harbor when he was listening to the details on the radio. Seventeen years old at the time, he had no way of knowing how his brother had fared, but was determined to follow in his footsteps. We don't know when Bessie Walters was notified that Charles was dead. We do know that in 1944, the U.S. Navy Department presented her with his posthumous Purple Heart Medal. A news article about it said Charles Walters had been Athens County's first casualty of World War II. That was the year the Oklahoma was finally lifted from its watery grave, and the hundreds of men entombed with her the past three years were brought to land and buried together. In 1947, the American Graves Registration Service was tasked with recovering and identifying fallen U.S. personnel in the Pacific Theater, and they disinterred those remains. But they could only give names to 35 men. The rest were buried a second time in 46 plots at the Punch Bowl, and the sailors that those bones represented were cataloged as non-recoverable. Something else happened in 1947. We lost the USS Oklahoma. I mean, physically lost it. We don't know where it is. After it was brought back up and stripped of its armaments, it was sold to a company in Oakland, California, for $46,000. So in May of that year, Two tugboats started moving the hull 
from Pearl Harbor to San Francisco Bay. But a storm struck when the trio of vessels were about 500 miles from Hawaii. The storm almost took the tugs down with it. The tug crews barely escaped with their lives, and only because they were able to cut the cables connecting them to the Oklahoma. And the ship sunk again. To this day, its exact location at the bottom of the Pacific is a mystery. Now, our story fast-forwards to 2015, when we have technology that has redefined what is non-recoverable. Over the past six years, a task force from the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency has sought out family members to provide DNA samples. They exhumed the remains of Oklahoma's crew a second time, and as they were able to give them names, they were returned to their families. Buford Dyer was one of the last, the 350th sailor from the Oklahoma to be identified this way. He is now slated to be buried April the 11th at the Ohio Western Reserve National Cemetery in Wayne County's village of Ritman. Clearly, he still has family that honors his sacrifice. The Beacon Journal's Alan Ashworth found a message left for him online in 2015. Dear Uncle Buford, for some reason we were never to meet, but you have been in my life since I was able to understand Pearl Harbor and what it meant. Many tears have been shed in your honor and memory. My dad, your brother Jay, spoke of you fondly and always reminisced about your childhood. So you were always a part of my life, if only in memory shared. My dad is now with you, so may you both rest in peace. Know that you have never been forgotten and never will be. I honor both you and my dad with the American flag that you both fought for so valiantly. For a variety of reasons, 33 men aboard the USS Oklahoma could not be matched to their families or had no family to match them to. Last December, as I said at the beginning of the episode, a memorial service reinterred them in Hawaii, Charles Walters with them. If technology advances in the future, or maybe the growing army of online genealogists have success in locating their families, they might be exhumed a third time. Kelly McKeague, director of the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency, told reporters last year, We sent these men and women off to combat, and they have not returned home. They are unreturned veterans. We have a sacred obligation, a moral imperative, with which to do everything humanly possible to find them and to return them to their families. Now, I found a three-year-old story that offered this phone number to the families of the missing. If you are related to Charles Edward Walters of Chansey, Ohio, perhaps you could give it a try. It's the Navy Casualty Office at 800-443-9298. So were there other Ohioans who died on the USS Oklahoma? Yes, absolutely. 
For the purposes of this story, I use the bookends of one man just recently identified and the other sailor whose remains are still a mystery. But other Ohioans have been identified during this recent DNA project and have already been returned home. Can we identify any of them for our listeners? I wanted to. I couldn't find a source that was comprehensive. There are lists of casualties, but they aren't very good at listing actual hometowns and residences. But there have been news reports from time to time. Last year, for instance, the Navy also identified Russell Roach of Zanesville and Thomas E. Griffith of Dayton. But heck, I I wouldn't be surprised to learn a dozen of the sailors were from Ohio. Seems when we hear about Pearl Harbor, mostly the USS Arizona comes to mind. That's the battleship that's part of the big memorial there. I've seen it. You can take a shuttle out to a memorial that spans the wreckage and stand right over the ship. You can see parts of it in the water. 1,170 men died on the Arizona. The ship was never raised, and the majority of the sailors were never recovered. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.